You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Erica Sob here, continuing our series talking to NLC alum who are thinking and worrying about how to get kids back into school. Cato Nord is here, Tampa Bay alum. He's very much involved with all the things going into opening schools. Don't want to waste any more time. Let's get to it. All right, Kato, what's your entry point into this challenge of trying to get kids back into school safely? Well, uh, I'm, uh, let's see, I'm just starting my seventh year uh, as a certified special education uh, high school teacher uh, teaching math in uh, Tampa, Florida. I just transferred to a, a magnet school, so I'm really excited about that, you know. So uh, that's where I'm starting right this second. I was going to ask for folks that aren't in the school community directly, can you explain why it's so complicated and so hard to figure out this school reopening process? <laughs> it's actually not as complicated as it appears, Eric. Mm. People make it appear hard because they're mixing in politics. Hmm. They're trying to mix in politics with medicine and health advice. Um, and again, that's because uh, this goes back to the point that all politics is local and it's important who you elect to every single public office because they will eventually directly impact your life one way or another. So then as a teacher, do you feel like uh, your, your voice is being heard? Do you feel like the union is, is advocating well on your behalf? Who are the other players that are making this more complicated? Uh, yeah, I, first of all, yes, I am a CTA or a Classroom Teachers Association uh, union member. I was a, uh, a assistant union rep at my last school, hmm. and I believe my school or my union is advocating for me. They're always in Tallahassee, our state capital. Um, they actually, uh, we're a chapter of the NEA, National Education Association, which recently filed a, uh, a lawsuit um, to force Florida schools to start the year in uh, e-learning until we can get this uh, this coronavirus curve down below five percent. Uh, so the, you know those that's one of the major major players on my side. I feel I'm well represented there. And then on the school board itself, we have seven members, uh, some of whom are right leaning, some of whom are left leaning. But I happen to be very lucky to work directly with. Uh, Tamara Schamberger, who is also an NLC 2017 alum, mm. and uh, she's fighting hard to, uh, she just uh, uh, passed her proposal to start the year off in e-learning for at least the first few, at least the first four weeks of the semester, starting August 24th. And then what kind of discussions occurred around how the minutes of instruction would be differentiated or or used with the e-learning? How much of it has to be live? How much of it can be asynchronous where it's just assignments that students can access? And then I'm sure for you, there's even more wrinkles because you're working with students who might have very specialized needs and, and might not have the same um, or might need additional supports to, to access the material. So what are the discussions right now about how the e-learning itself is going to look? Well, of course, some of those discussions are way, you know, over <laughs> Uh, I will tell you, generally speaking, that yes, as a special, you know, in the world of ESE or special education, of course, state and state laws do require a specific number of, of minutes of instruction 
not just for all general education students, but also for uh, students with special needs. So depending on, you know, the, stu the uh, students, uh, I would just say learning or intellectual disability, that student may require a certain number of minutes per day that have to be fulfilled. And, uh, and although things are changing really every single day, because our state, uh, our state uh, overlords are back and forth and back and forth and not sure what they want to do exactly. Uh, you know, I do know that we are going to, it's going to be, it's going to mirror a typical school day. You know, if a student's supposed to be in school for six hours and 40 minutes, what have you, then they're going to be on Zoom, you know, with teachers for approximately that amount of time. When we come back with Kato, we'll talk more about the challenge of reopening schools and what that might look like in the state of Florida. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. Kato, what's your reaction? I'm sure you're watching the news and you see a lot of the headlines coming out of Georgia, for example, right? We took some of the suburbs of Georgia, took some great pride in, in reopening, and now they have close to a thousand kids and students and, and teachers in quarantine after about a week or two. As a, as a teacher, what's your reaction to that? Uh, distraught. One, I feel a little bit lucky that I'm living in a progressive county in Hillsborough County, where uh, most recently in 2018, we experienced a very significant blue wave. And so this county does tend to be dominated by progressives and by uh, left-leaning folks who are more apt to listen to science and to uh, medical uh, practitioners, uh, which was the case last week when, uh, when uh, my, my uh, school board member uh, asked six, uh, six uh, medical experts, doctors, uh, so forth, uh, from the local university, is it safe to open? And they all, to a man and to a woman, said, no, it is not safe to open. Uh, but things like what's happening in Georgia, where they were all gung-ho, they ran right through the phases very quickly. You know, they wanted every barbershop, every nail salon, every school, every church open. Uh, no masks required anywhere in the whole state of Georgia. You know, it's very sad that, you know, they have played with people's lives to this point that almost as soon as they started the school semester, now in some places over a thousand, you know, youth are out, uh, you know, have gotten diagnosed with coronavirus. And then last thing I'm curious about, one of the, I don't know, benefits is quite the right word, but at least one of the advantages that was true in the spring when we had to go to distance learning for most of us in, in about March is that most of the school year had transpired and teachers had relationships with students and could leverage those relationships to, to get through that, that tough time. What do you feel like your, your strategy will be to build relationships with new students at this school year over, over, over Zoom or over Google Classroom? How do you anticipate trying to make that same type of relationship connection happen in a very unusual, a very unusual setting? Okay, well, Eric, that's a that is actually the question of the hour, the million dollar question, and something our uh, school staff has been tackling over the last week in in uh, pre planning as we get ready to launch on the twenty fourth. Uh, number one, uh, establishing rapport on day one with the parent and the students. Uh, you know, my plan personally is to call every single parent. 
of the students on my rosters, just touch base with them, let them know who I am. You know, I'm part of, I've been a part of the community X number of years. You know, I have children that attend Hillsborough County schools. You know, here's what I do. I'm looking forward to supporting you, you know, starting the year off uh, positive and letting them know that, uh, that I'm on their side. You know, as a special educator, as a math teacher, as just, again, a member of the community that's really in the same position, in the same shoes that they are in. You know, so that's number one, establishing and, and establishing a relationship through timely communication. You know, so when a parent gets a phone call from me, they're not thinking, oh, man, uh, I don't know if I want to talk to him today. They're automatically going to think back to the most recent positive conversation Say, oh wow, okay, Mr. Nord's on the line. Let me let's go pick up the phone. You know, yeah. Uh, and if we can get that sort of buy-in, it starts mentally. If we can get that sort of buy-in, then we can progress very quickly to where students are engaged in classes and they're ready to learn. You know, it's just by establishing that initial communication. Yeah, makes sense. Listen, good luck on the start of the school year. Thanks for all you're doing, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. Make sure to catch. All the past episodes that we've dropped in the last two, three weeks or so, talking with educators from the NLC community across the country. A bunch of different perspectives, a bunch of different takes, all very interesting and all short and sweet episodes. Get them at Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Apple, Google, all the places where you get your podcasts. And until next time, we'll catch you soon.